0: hello there and welcome back to our study of the book of Revelation uh, we are in chapter 14 now as we move through and we're two-thirds of the way into this book now so um, it's really getting good remember where we left off last time and that was with the two beasts coming out of the uh, one out of the sea and one out of the the earth to attack the the people of God and to bring destruction and pain onto them and um, in chapter 14 we see a theme and the theme is that we're not alone because in the midst of this battle scene, in the midst of this pain, we look up and we see something. Let's begin reading. Then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. So here's the lamb. What a strange thing to see in a battle scene, but yet that's what we see. And this isn't the cavalry riding over the hill to save the day. Okay, this is Jesus. And he's on Mount Zion. Where is Mount Zion? A lot of people have speculated. Well, uh, Jerusalem, or it's a city of some sort or something like that, or an actual mountain. Um, Mount Zion is just the place where God dwells. Okay? Okay. In scripture, we see Mount Zion referenced. Um, it is just where God is. And look who's there with him. On Mount Zion stands the Lamb, and with him, what? 144,000 who have his name. Now, the 144,000, obviously, again, numbers are not literal in Revelation, okay? What are we talking about? Remember, the number 12 is the number of religion in, in Semitic culture. That's why we have 12 tribes you have the 12 elders you have 12 apostles etc and so 144 is 12 times 12 so we have a repetition and an emphasis of of the faithful and then by a factor of 10 meaning it's a lot okay so the fullness of the faithful all of God's people are there now that's strange because right now we're here right well we are here and we are there at the same time that's uh, that's a hard concept to really understand. That's a hard thing to grasp. That's a challenging uh, idea. But if you look at, say, Hebrews chapter 12, around verse 22, uh, the author says, we are already gathered. We are already gathered with him. Now, how is that? Well, there's some things that our brain can't understand. We're there, but we're here, but we're there already. There's multiple realities happening at the same time here, okay? So, yes, we're being gathered, but we've been gathered. Uh, This kind of thing happens when we take communion. John Mark Hicks is an outstanding writer uh, and scholar, and he writes about the, the idea of communion, when we partake of communion, that we are actually communing with not only just one another who are there, but also with all those, the faithful who have gone before us. We are united with them in that action. I like that. I think that's a very beautiful idea. But the 144,000 is not a literal 144,000. Um, the Jehovah's Witness uh, faith believes that um, this is literal. When when that uh, denomination, when that faith tradition first emerged, uh, and it did so from a couple of gentlemen who were not particularly good scholars, and they got a few things wrong. Um, and so what they taught was that only 144,000 will be saved. As the Jehovah's Witness church grew to exceed 144,000, they, they needed a new, um, they needed a n- a new doctrine because it, it'd be tough to get people to join a church if it's already full. Uh, so now what they teach is that 144,000 will go to heaven. That's the VIP section. And the rest will be here on earth, on a restored earth, um, to live in a, in a paradise here on earth. That's not correct, okay? They've they've made a mistake there, and I'm not trying to be rude, but they're wrong. Uh, That's not what this means. It means the fullness of all the faithful will be gathered with Jesus where God dwells. Mount Zion, the Lamb, the 144,000. We're going to be with God, and in some ways the faithful already are with God. Present tense, past tense, and future tense all happen together here. Uh, And then he hears this voice from heaven, and it's like the roar of many waters, like the sound of thunder, uh, like the sound of harpists playing. We don't think of harps as being loud, uh, but indeed, uh, that's how John described it. Something about what he's seeing and hearing is beyond description. It's like the water. It's like the thunder. Those would have been typical ways that Jewish writers expressed noise, loud noise because they didn't have cars and airplanes and trains to express loud noise. So it's water and it is thunder and it's the harps playing. It's just a cacophony of sound. It, it, it's ringing out. And uh, they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. What is this new song that we're going to read about? Well, it's a, it's, well, we'll read later. It's, it's a good news. It's the gospel. They're singing a new song. Before the throne and the four living creatures, before the elders, no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women for their virgins. It is these who followed the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouths no lie was found, for they are blameless. Now, I want to go back there a little bit. So the 144,000, the fullness of the, of the faithful, saved by God, standing with Christ in the, in the dwelling place of God, they sing this song, a song of joy, a song of good news, and these are identified as those who have not defiled themselves sexually. They are celibate. Um, there, there is, in the history of Christianity, some deification of virginity that has gone on because of verses like this, that we have made that a very holy kind of thing, and it's a wonderful thing. Um, it's a wonderful thing to to um, be faithful to one partner, to have the one partner, uh, and let's be honest, God made sex. Okay, He made us to do that, and. Um, and, and we do, and that's good. That's okay. What is being talked about here, again, is a reference to the time and the culture and the place that uh, th- this, remember, we're talking about these beasts, right? So Rome, the beast of the sea, and the religion that supported it, the beast of the earth, um, they supported, encouraged, and engaged in rituals and acts of just debaucherous sexual immorality. Many of the religions worshipping other gods and goddesses involved a lot of sex. And um, so this is not simply a celebration of virginity or celibacy or saying that only those who are celibate will go to heaven. It is uh, a reference to the sexual immorality that was a part of the religious landscape that the faithful would not partake in. We're not going to have anything to do with these beasts and what they're promoting. That's all it is. Um, It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits and the lamb and in their mouth no lie was found for they are blameless. All right now we're going to see some angels. We're going to have three angels and they're each going to have a message and it's going to be a bit of a challenge here because we're going to see some really destructive, troubling things, we're going to be told that it's good news. So let's see. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth. Okay, it's good news here, right? To every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So first angel is coming, proclaiming good news, right? <clears throat> another angel, uh, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Another reference, again, to the acts that were a part of life and a part of the religious experience of Rome. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Okay. Boy, now, look at these three angels. (laughs) Good news, the proclamation of the falling of Babylon. And again, I would encourage you, go to Isaiah 62. Go to the book of Daniel. Go to uh, Ezekiel in some cases. You will see a lot of this imagery that is being used because it's familiar imagery to the audience, so the author is using it. Uh, Also, Psalm 2. Psalm 2, uh, John really likes and alludes to it quite a bit and even quotes it, um, the idea that all these nations are rising up against God, but God is going to put them down. Okay, That's what we see here in these the last few chapters, these beasts, these dragons, these things that are, are trying to destroy God's people, trying to cause harm to God's people, sowing evil in the world. Well, God's going to... God's going to shut that down. God's going to bring that to an end. Uh, It might take a little while, and we have to be patient. But notice this, here here we have an angel bringing the gospel, the good news, one proclaiming the falling of, of the empire of Rome, and the next describing the punishment. It looks as though we have a scene where God is sitting, along with the angels approving, the torment and torture of the bad guys and we're just watching them burn in sulfur um, and we can get into why that I mean sulfur burns. It burns and it stinks and it burns hot and um, we won't get into all that but this scene is a little disturbing. How is judgment good news? Because we think of it like that scene I just described. God sitting and observing and, and taking great pleasure in the pain of these are not people. Let's remember that. This is not a literal description of, of an image that, that we're going to see or that we can expect. These are not people. This is meant to inform us about what God was going to do to the enemies of, of Jesus and the enemies of his people. He was going to bring their destruction. He was going to put a stop to them. Okay, so, again, we think of this as hell, and boy, there's some misconceptions about hell, but we think of this as hell. We get a lot of our imagery of hell from these kinds of verses. Um, the, the idea of the, the grapes of wrath, um, both, both the, the novel and the, uh, the line of the song, we get from these verses. Um, we think of this as people, and then it becomes a torture pit that God is, is watching with glee. It's not that. These aren't people. This is a nation. This is an empire. These are evildoers. And he's not talking about a literal torture. He's talking about bringing them to an end, collapsing them. Because what happened when cities went away in that time? They burned. When they were conquered, when they were pillaged, they were burned. You would travel down the road and in the distance the city you were going to, you just see a pillar of smoke and you know it's gone. It's not there. Go somewhere else. It happened all the time. So this idea that they would be left in ruins, that they would be left in ashes. Very, very recognizable and very relevant. Verse uh, 12, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, for those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put your sickle, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Um, notice why we see Jesus coming on a cloud here, um, because when things come from the air, they are not capable of being stopped, at least they're harder. It's one of the reasons why, uh, in the history of military affairs, uh, nations that achieved prominence with an air force became suddenly very powerful because they're able to go anywhere and they're able to attack from an advantageous position. People come on land, you can stop them a lot of ways. People come from the sea, you can stop them a lot of ways. You can't stop from the air. Jesus comes on the cloud and um, he can't be stopped. It's inevitable. And he comes and there is this sickle, And now we're going to reap. We're going to harvest the earth. So he sat on the cloud, swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar. The angel has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 600 stadia. 600 stadia, it's like 180 miles, something like that. Don't get hung up on the number, okay? Wow. Wow. Here we have a reaping, a harvest, a wine press and blood. what are we talking about? I want you to remember a story from um, the, the the book of Exodus and the Israelites remember Moses went up on the mountain to receive the law from God. he was up there a little while and the people got impatient and the people built an, uh, an idol, the golden calf. when Moses returned and was became angry um, and after God gave him the backup, tablets. Um, There was a punishment for the people. They had to melt down and burn that altar, that idol. They had to take the ashes and mix it with water and they had to drink it. That's interesting. That's a weird kind of punishment, but that's the punishment of Revelation chapter 14. We see these grapes of wrath and these grapes being pressed out and this harvest and God is saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to put an end to the evildoer. And the evildoer will be undone by his own evil. Okay, that's what we're talking about. All of the evil, and, and, and make no mistake, uh, Romans, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 13. Nope, excuse me, Romans chapter 13. I'm sorry, I'm teaching Hebrews class at the same time. Romans chapter 13 talks about our relationship with our civic government and God's role in all of that. Make no mistake. There are evildoers. there are evil empires, there are evil people doing evil deeds for their own benefit. And God says, for those who do harm, I will make them drink what they have made. Their own evil will come back to destroy them. That's been true in the history of the world. Um, look, we, we sometimes get hung up on a lot of things that don't matter. We get hung up on social issues, political issues. Uh, we find ourselves distracted. What matters is Jesus. What matters is a promise. What matters is the good news that the evil will be undone. The evil will be destroyed, whether it's a whether it's a government force or whether it's what whatever. evil will be undone, and it will be undone by its own evil. that's what that's what chapter fourteen says. And they will drink what they made. They will drink what they made, just like the Israelites did when they built that golden calf, and just like the evildoers will do. And don't worry about the hyperbole. Remember, we're using symbols and visions and hyperbole and all this blood. It's a lot of blood. That's the point. It's a lot of bloodshed that's happening because a lot of evil is being dealt with. That's what God promises. That's the good news of judgment. That Jesus is going to come and make all of it right. And we're going to win. Chapter 15, we move on to it now. See, chapter 15, now we get, um, it's not seven brides for seven brothers. It's seven plagues for seven angels, uh, chapter 15. And then we move to 16. In these next few chapters, we've been seeing the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. And we've been hearing the promise of judgment and wrath. Now we're going to see what a lamb can do because the the image of a lamb is very, very different from what we imagine um, this the, uh, a, our great warrior and defender would be. So get ready. Next few chapters, buckle up. We'll see you next time.